Hey, and welcome to On the Battlefield with me, Father Joseph Collins, and my friend and co-host, Father Michael Marcantoni, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst life's suffering and upheaval. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Father Andrew Stephen Damick, and we're going to kick it over to you, Father Andrew. Please tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh it's an honor to be with you guys today. Um, I work as the chief content officer for Ancient Faith Ministries, which is probably the premier English language Orthodox Christian media ministry in the world. Um, so I get to work with a really amazing group of people. And my job as chief content officer, number one is to make content. So I spend a lot of time preparing for and making podcasts. Uh, but also my task is to have a finger on pretty much every kind of content that ancient faith makes, whether it's podcasts or books or blogs, or uh, we do some video as well, um, or events, you know, um, I now I don't I can't read or listen to every single thing before it goes on the air it gets published, like just last week, Ancient Faith published like 40 podcast episodes, like no one could listen to all of that, right? Um, but my task is to sort of be in relationship with all the people who are in the production of those things. And if there is an issue, a particular issue that comes up, I can help to deal with it, but also to serve as a consultant. And um, especially from my theological background and my pastoral work, because I served for 13 years in parish ministry, um, you know, and to provide that presence for the whole ministry. Uh, Ancient Faith is a, is a, virtual office, so to speak. There's a headquarters in Chester, Indiana, but only a few people actually work there. We have about 18 staff uh, between full-time and part-time, and we're scattered all across the United States, multiple, all the time zones here in the U.S. Um, so I do have co-workers, but I almost never actually see them <laughs> in person. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I basically I tell people I get to spend my time having great conversations with people, and this is literally what I do for a living now, and it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of a dream come true. I've I've loved being a writer and a communicator for my whole life, and um, and now this is this is what I do with all of my time. I'm still connected to a local parish. I'm still attached, actually, at the parish where I was pastor, but there is now a new pastor there, and uh, he's taken the reins and he's doing a really excellent job. I really like him. I'm really glad that we got somebody that I know and that I like, because it could have been really painful otherwise. Um, and uh, so I'm attached there. I'm not on staff exactly, but I still serve, I still teach, I still preach, I still sing, uh, all those things. So uh, so yeah, that's kind of my, my vocations in a nutshell. Um, I am married, I have four children from ages 13 to three. And uh, we live in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, which is just an awesome little town. Uh, three square miles, about 11,000 people. We're right next to an urban area, right next to rural areas. It's, it's, to me, it's paradise, honestly. I've lived in 23 different homes. Um, and this, God willing, this is going to be the last one. I tell people I'm going to move one more time. And in that case, instead of a moving van, it'll just be a long box. And there'll be six young guys that are going to take me to my final home. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's basically me. <laughs> Father Andrew, it is really a great pleasure to have you here with us today. And, uh, the title of our podcast is On the Battlefield, and Father Michael and I have both heard you talk about spiritual warfare, and that's why we wanted you here, because you have yeah. deep knowledge of the war that we are fighting every day, an unseen war that is at our doorstep and in front of us 24 hours a day, and that most of us are just ignorant of, don't want to deal with, or name, name the reason, but uh, would you start us off by telling us about your understanding of what spiritual warfare is, what it isn't, and what it looks like for the average Orthodox bear? Yeah. So I, I think I would start by saying that um, even talking to people who are serious, committed Christians, I mean, let's set aside for a moment those who, who aren't, but talking to, about serious, committed Christians, the vision that a lot of people have, and I would say even maybe most people have, of what it means to be a Christian is it's a kind of internal struggle to become a better person. Like that's how most people, I think, envision what Christianity is. Serious committed Christians, uh, you know, uncommitted ones, they might say, well, it just, it's, a, I like it as a nice part of my life or my traditions, or I think it helps me 
to be moral or whatever. But anyway, but yeah, committed Christians, they tend to think of Christianity as being about self-improvement. You know, I'm sinful, I need to become less sinful. I'm selfish, I need to become more giving, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm prideful, I need to become more humble. And I mean, there's some truth to that. There's definitely some truth to that, right? But it's actually only one part of the picture. And in order to understand the picture correctly, we need to understand which story it is that we're actually in. And I think the problem with that common vision of spiritual life is that the story that we tend to think we're in is the one in which we're the hero. Uh, and, and I mean, I think most people come by that view, honestly, like that's just all they've ever been told, like, you know, get better, be a better person. And that means it's a story about my progress from worse to better, God willing. Um, but the real story that we're in actually, and this is depicted in the scripture, is one in which when mankind was created, um, it was, there was something already happening. There was a story already going on. There was a conflict that already existed. And what has happened is that mankind has been caught in the crossfire. Okay. So, so what exactly is that conflict? Well, as part of the creation, and there's various views as to exactly when various things happen, but that's not the point uh, for today, I would say, unless you want to talk about that. Um, but, but what we do know is that God creates his angelic hosts, and uh, they are there to assist him in the governance of creation. Now, he doesn't need them. I mean, God can govern creation by himself. Uh, but he, out of his love, he created them to participate in what it is that he is doing. Well, a number of those angelic hosts rebelled against him, right? And there's various ways that they rebelled, but the biggest way that they rebelled was by accepting worship for themselves from mankind. Um, there were pre-existing rebellions too before that point. But I mentioned that because if you accept worship, then that means you're taking a place that belongs only to God. So that is the ultimate act of rebellion, is to receive sacrificial worship from mankind when you're not God. No obedient angel would ever do that. It's only these ones that we've come to call demons that that receive worship from mankind um and so they they fall away they sort of as, as one of the fathers uh, saint gregory the great says that they dethrone god in their minds because it's not like he's got a chair set up in their house somewhere that he's enthroned on they dethrone god in their minds and they place themselves on that throne so it's an act of pride of selfishness on their part and when god creates mankind and offers him the opportunity to become part of the heavenly hosts, right? This is actually written into the, um, the promises to Abraham, where God says to Abraham, your descendants will be as the stars in heaven. Now, most people read that and they say, oh, like there's going to be lots of them. But actually, it says they'll be numbered as the sands of the sea, and they will be, be as the stars of heaven. So that means they're going to be like the stars. And ancient peoples understood the stars as being closely associated with spiritual beings. So when God says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars, what he's saying is your descendants, your spiritual descendants, are going to be as the angelic hosts who govern the stars and the moon and the sun and the winds and the waves and the earth and everything. Right. So, so God gives this promise to Abraham. Uh, although it's sort of built into the creation from the beginning when he makes man in his own image. Um, but he, he offers this to him. And the demons in seeing this, they experience envy. And it says this in scripture that, that they fall from envy. What are they envious of? They are envious of us. And so because of this envy that they have, their hatred for mankind they attempt to draw us away from the worship of the one true God, which makes us like him, and to draw us to worship them, right? So often in the Orthodox Church, we talk about theosis, in which we become like God. How do you become like God? You worship him, you participate in his works. You become like him when you do that. How do you become like a demon? You worship them, you participate in their works. So there's basically, like we talk about theosis, but there's an opposite as well, another a progression in the other direction, which I don't know that there's a patristic term for that. In my head, I call it demonosis. Uh, it's to become like a demon, right? So, so that's what's happening. And um, 
we're caught up in this crossfire between God and his angels on the one hand and the fallen angelic beings, these demons on the other hand, and they are trying to get us to join their side. And God is offering us the opportunity to join his side. And you see this very clearly at the beginning of baptism in which we're explicitly told to whether we're asked, do you renounce all of your allegiance to the demonic hosts? And do you align yourself with Christ and with his heavenly army? Um, and then, and then as baptism proceeds, and there's all kinds of references to defeating demons. So if we understand baptism correctly, then we actually understand what it is that Christian life is about. Uh, it's not about just sort of becoming a better person. It's actually about arming yourself to fight against the enemies of God. And, and I should underline here that the enemies of God are not other human beings, no matter how messed up they are. <laughs> the enemies of God are these fallen angelic hosts, these demons. That's who the enemies of God are. Now, sometimes human beings get caught up with them and become enslaved to them. But as I like to say, don't hate the slave, hate the slaver. You know, pray for the slave, release the slave if you possibly can. But but the, the slaver, the enslaver is the one that we're fighting against. So that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, this is the narrative that we're actually in. And so, yes, I do need to become more loving, more selfless, all that kind of stuff. But the point of doing that is precisely to engage in this spiritual battle against demonic beings. And, and by doing that, then I'm participating in the works of God. So when I give to someone who's in need, I'm doing what God does. God is doing it. I have the opportunity to participate in him doing it. Uh, he's going to do it without me if I don't participate. He will do it. He says in scripture, he's going to do it, but I can participate in it. And when I do that, then I become more like him. And I, I, I you know, I, I take on his character and I become more clearly his adopted son. So that's the, that's the sh very short version of what we're talking about. I, I, I love it. Thank you, father. I, I absolutely love it. And that is something that uh, I think, you know, I, and I've heard that mentioned, I think, on other podcasts that you've done, and it's something that I've talked about uh, in my own parishes where I've served in reference to baptism. It's interesting in the during the renunciation of Satan there in that portion in the Greek, the verb that's used is apotasomen, right. which is apo, apo, apo from and doxo, the ranks, from the ranks, or in another uh, synonymous way you could say in English, defect. You're really right. asking them. Do you defect from That's Satan? Right. And the person yep. says, I defect three times. And then they turn Christwards, they turn towards these. And then a the verb, of course, is sin Again, seen with and taxo ranks. In other words, do you enlist? Do you join the ranks of? Exactly. Uh, it, it's a very, it's a very literal defecting, a declaration of war by blowing and spitting, and then the the enlisting under the banner of Christ. And uh, we use that, you know, you mentioned that word hosts, you know, it, it gets lost because it's, uh, it's kind of a classical English, but hosts are armies. That's what that's they right. are. Exactly right. It, that's yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I've often heard people talk about baptism in those military terms, which is important, but if we're just joining an army and we don't have any sense of what the war is or who the enemy is, then it's just sort of this martial feeling, you know, but, but there actually is a war. So like you mentioned, the spitting and the blowing, it's my understanding that the spitting is actually a relatively late um, addition to that, to that ritual. And you, know, you don't see it everywhere, but the blowing or the breathing has always been there. And, and there is a strong association of breathing out with exorcism. And also a breathing with the giving of the spirit. I mean, in the Orthodox baptism service, there's actually three breathings that occur, right? There's the, the, the priest breathes on the person who is being exorcised early on. And then that person then breathes out, like especially like expelling or exhaling demonic presence. And then the priest also does the same thing to the water. As he's blessing, he blows on the water, right? He breathes on the water. So there's this association of breathing with exorcism. And this is an act of aggression against demons. That's specifically I, I, what it is. 
I've got a real, I've got a question on that. And, and just, I don't want to derail us, but I do want to ask this. And uh, I hope that it helps with our, uh, with, with our discussion, given that that's the case, given that breathing is that fundamental expelling, that aggressive act of exorcism. Uh, I wonder, is there any validity to think that there's somehow on a cosmic level that sort of, because the war, the spiritual war had already begun, um, if that ends up being connected in some way to the primordial act of creation, namely, you know, when Genesis says that the earth was tohu vabohu, which are not native Hebrew words, those are Akkadian words, you can tell by the ending that tohu vabohu and their derivations i've been told i don't know but i've been told uh, of tiamat and leviathan right leviathan being the the chaos monster of the sea and uh behemoth being the chaos monster of the land in other words it was chaos there was there was chaos on sea and on land and then you see the spirit blowing yeah. These yeah. Actually, so hovering so, over the face of the sea. So behem right? is behemoth, it? behemoth is actually associated with tyranny more than with chaos. Okay. So, All like, right. if you're going to put it in 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 D and D terms, uh, Leviathan is chaotic evil, and Behemoth is lawful evil. <laughs> right. So, but would you, but the blowing of the spirit there? Can we see that as maybe a divine exercising of the earth before this creation takes place? So, so. Breathing in scripture has two things that, that happen usually. So there's exorcism, but there's also the granting of the spirit, mm -hmm. right? And almost anywhere you see, especially like in the writings of St. Paul, the word spirit or spiritual, you should probably put a capital S on that almost every time. There's a couple of, of exceptions, but it, once you read it that way, suddenly you start to see that there's something really else going on, that the Holy Spirit is being invoked and, 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 uh, you know, brought into the situation over and over again. So, you know, like for instance, when Jesus, after he rises from the dead and then he sees his disciples, you know, huddling together in fear, it says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now he's not breathing on them to exorcise them. He's not driving a spirit out. He's giving them the spirit, right? So, so breathing has, has both, um, both things are going on there. There's both this exorcism and there's this giving of the spirit. And, and you know, in creation, right, there's this <clears throat> hovering of the spirit of the, over the waters. This is, this is God's creative presence, you know, as the Holy Spirit. You know, he, he is the Holy Spirit. And then also notice what happens with Adam is God breathes into him and he becomes a living soul. So it's this fundamentally creative act. So you're right, though, to connect it with, with chaos, it's driving out chaos is creation. It's creative, you know? Um, so, so yeah, there, that is there. And, and of course we also refer to baptism as being a recreation of that, of that person. It's a rebirth as well. You know, they're born again, born from above. Uh, getting back onto our topic at hand though, of our spiritual warfare, I want to, so I am presently in uh, in Tennessee, and this sort of language of the uh, of the conflict between good and evil, of spiritual warfare, it, it's 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 very easy language for people to get their heads nodding about. Everybody likes the idea of being a warrior. Uh, that is until it's time to do warrior things. We, we all like to go to the boot camp class at the gym because you can also go back to your warm bed and get a Starbucks frappe afterwards. Uh, but it's another thing to actually be in boot camp. Uh, so you want, everyone wants to do war until it's time to do warrior things. Um, so given that this language is there, I've seen two big extremes that uh, I, I find equally harmful in really taking a sincere and serious look at this question of spiritual warfare. One, the tendency to over-spiritualize. And I see this uh, a lot of times with our people who are very well-meaning. Uh, they really do desire to take the spiritual dimension to the world, the, the metaphysical dimension of the world seriously, but they're a little over-scrupulous. And so everything gets turned into demons. When maybe not everything, maybe it's just that thing you were watching before you went to sleep tonight, you know. Uh, so there, there, there can be this thing, you know, where we over read into things. That's the one tendency. But then on the other hand, right, uh, there's sort of the thing that you already brought up. The, the flip side to that, where we over 
intellectualize it and just turn it into an ethical metaphor where the spiritual warfare doesn't have any tangible spiritual uh, meaning anymore. And it's just a, a, a battle with my own baser impulses. And that that's dry and sterile. And it's also does a disservice to what we're talking about. And I, I've seen both of these do a real disservice to the actual spiritual nature of the actual spiritual Christian life that we're endeavoring to live. So how do we recognize that balance between not overreading things in and not demythologizing on the other hand, those two extremes, and then discerning and finding a real genuine look? Does the question make sense? I think so. Um, yeah. The, the problem is that as modern people, we don't have the understanding of the world that ancient people did, right? So ancient people understood that the whole world is spiritual, that there's nothing, there's no sort of neutral ground, right? Um, everything has the presence of spiritual beings. Um, now, a modern person upon hearing that, they may decide, well, then there's nothing else that I have to do other than maybe pray really hard or every explanation I have for something is going to be a spiritual quote unquote explanation. You know, like, Oh, the reason that's happening is because demons. Right. Um, but, but what that fails to understand is that uh, the creation is both material and immaterial at the same time. Right. So I could say, for instance, when I plant my garden, um, that the only thing that's going to make it grow is, is God. And, and that's true on a certain level. But if, if by, when I say that, all I do is pray over it and I don't actually plant any seeds, I don't water them, I don't put fertilizer in there, I don't, you know, do any of that stuff, then um, I'm failing to use all that God has given me. And I'm actually, it's actually, it's interesting, I'm actually truncating my spiritual life because he gave me, all of those other elements as well, right? You know, it's just like it says in scripture, you know, you can say to someone, God bless you, but you won't give them a cup of water. You know, you're failing, you're failing to give all that comes from God. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God, right? And so that's the problem on the other side too, right? That, that okay, well, I... God has given me all of my strength and knowledge and ability. And so that's what I'm going to use. I'm not going to actually actively ask him to be involved or actually actively, you know, uh, address the angels and saints whom God has appointed to help govern this creation. And in whose, into whose midst I am being invited to do the same thing. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's this problem of, 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 you know, it's a really a Gnostic problem of, of you know, disconnecting this, the material and the immaterial from each other, right? So, so, so that's the difficulty is that, you know, God doesn't say, just pray really hard and don't engage in material activities at all. And he certainly doesn't say the other thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's the union of those together. That's the way that ancient people functioned and they just knew they knew that that's how the world was. They didn't have to have it explained to them or they didn't have to be convinced of it. They experienced it that way, right? And we now are at a point in history uh, where we, at least especially in the West, have inherited a, a very bifurcated view where the material and the immaterial are disconnected. Um, and in some cases, for some people, the disconnection is so much that they've completely just dropped usually the immaterial. Uh, and become materialists, right? Um, but uh, if we want to, if we want to re-engage at least as much as we can in the way that ancient peoples did, the way the people who received the scripture, the way the people who were present, you know, when the incarnation happened on earth, the way that they understood it, then I think that it's really key that we um, stop acting like materialists and, um, and, and, begin inviting the angels and the saints that God has appointed to assist this creation and to govern this creation, invite them constantly into everything that we do. You know, it's not, they're, they're not a kind of sort of spiritual technology. Like I know some people who treat the saints like that. Oh, you need this saint for this, you know, this angel for this, this saint for, like there are people who act that way. That is a distorted way of understanding 
the, the saints, you know, they are not, uh, they are not, you don't press a button to get an archangel to show up and divert a river for you. That's not the way it works. Rather, you have an ongoing relationship with this angelic protector who lives where you are and is involved in your life and in your church. And so he, of course, is interested in what's going on there. And then when the time comes that you really need help, you can call upon him because you have this ongoing relationship, right? That doesn't mean, of course, if you've ignored God and the saints for all your life and then call out in the midst of an emergency that they're going to just ignore you. They might, they, they, they might, <laughs> you might need to actually just go through the tragedy. Um, but they also might respond, you know, because, because they know that that's what you need for your faith. So, so yeah, there is this problem and it's just this division that we have in our minds and in the way that we function, you know, that we're functionally materialists. And sometimes people, they try to correct that by dumping the material and saying, you know, I'm just going to trust God. And, you know, like, I, like I'll give you an example, you know, in the early years of the Pentecostal movement, the very beginning of the Pentecostal movement, um, there was this big revival that happened on Azusa street in Los Angeles and uh, in this one particular church. And uh, when it started happening, there were people who said, you know, shouldn't we like put an ad out in the paper and put up signs and so forth, letting people know what's happening here so they can come participate uh, in this mighty work of God. And, and the leaders of the movement said, no, 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 the Holy Spirit will simply bring that. We're not going to, in fact, it would be a lack of faith to even engage in that, right? To, to put out a sign, even just saying, you know, the church name, right? Um, so, so that's, you know, that's to, as what you would maybe describe it as kind of over-spiritualizing. Although to me, that's under-spiritualizing because it means that we don't understand the spiritual value of a sign. We don't understand the spiritual value of inviting someone. These are all spiritual acts, right? Every act is spiritual. When we realize that, then we can't divide up our life into, okay, I've got the spiritual stuff over here that involves like praying and you know, whatever. And over here, the practical day-to-day. -day. No, 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 no. I mean, like ancient peoples, for instance, had prayers for washing your baby, prayers for rowing your boat, prayers for milking your cow. Why don't we do those things? Why don't we? So I, I yeah, I, you know what? I, thank you. I'm going to be thinking about that the rest of the day. There's, you know, it, it's, I guess we might say in another, another way of putting it, that the, uh, the problem with those extremes is reductionism. I mean, whether right. it's reductionism in one way or another, it's it's reductionism. Father Joseph? I think I'm really sitting here enjoying listening to the both of you and asking uh, my own questions in my head, but we are halfway through the, the show already, believe it or not. And we ask everyone to visit our Facebook page at On the Battlefield Podcast. Our uh, Instagram page uh, is also on the Battlefield Podcast, or you can find us at Anchor dot fm slash on the battlefield and father andrew would you please tell people where they can find you if they're interested in your podcast and what it is that you're doing for ancient faith yeah so my main website is simply my name andrew and that will actually take you to a site that belongs to ancient faith because i work for them um and uh, but you can also find me on facebook i have a facebook page father andrew stephen damick and I post there, you know, pretty frequently. I tell people sometimes that I live on the internet now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and I've got uh, four current podcasts on Ancient Faith Radio. And um, I have a blog, which is, you know, just simply my name. So uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a relatively rare last name. So if you just search for my name, you'll find all kinds of stuff that's pretty much mostly me. There was some other guy named Andrew Damick who lived in the 19th century that I was not related to. But as far as I know, I'm, I'm the only one currently alive. So, And that's uh, Andrew Stephen with a PH. Right. And one M in Damick, yes? Yes, yes. Perfect. It's Damick, not Damick, which, you know, when my dad was in the Navy, he would always say, when someone called him that, they say, he would say, I was never sure if he was calling my name or swearing at me. <laughs> yeah, andrewstephendamick.com. Perfect. And so follow, like, subscribe uh, to him and do the same for us at On the Battlefield Podcast, both at Facebook and Instagram at, at anchor.fm. Um, so this is, you know, some people might take what we've been saying thus far as uh, 
something really spiritual, ethereal, philosophical, whatever adjective you want to use. But what sort of practical, we already started, I think, towards uh, just before the mid-roll there, uh, delving into the more practical steps of these, these more ancient prayers. You know, we've got prayers that we offer uh, during the grape harvest for the blessing of the grapes, and we have blessings of water. So, so there, there is this echo from the past that, that the church has never let go of, of these prayers for the blessing of the physical material. But what sort of practical things can we do uh, as, as we're on the battlefield each day to, yeah. to reunite this and, and not to minimalize or whatever and actually start living an integrated Christian life? Yeah. Well, number one above all else is to participate in the sacrifices of the church. Uh, there are two primary sacrifices of the church, the Holy Eucharist, which is that shared meal with our God. Even pagans did this. When you eat a meal that's been offered to your God, then you are in communion with that God and you become like that God. If you're doing that with the one true God, the Holy Trinity, that's good news. If you're doing with a, that with a demon, you are becoming like a demon. You are in communion with a demon, right? And, and that helps to uh, purify us and change us to be more like him. And so we gain gradually awareness of the spiritual world and the right way to interact with it. But the other one that a lot of people don't realize is actually a sacrifice is the offering of incense. Um, incense functions differently in terms of the way that it's a sacrifice. Um, it's actually, I, I, the, the way I've heard it described, which I like best, is that it's spiritual fumigation. It's spiritual fumigation. And it was interesting, I actually read something recently that it suggests that it, that it functions that way, even on a material level, that incense actually drives away microbes and that kind of thing from the air. Fancy that. Um, but that's not why we do it. <clears throat> so when incense is offered, it's offered for the sake of purifying and sanctifying the space that it's being placed in, right? So like some people say, you know, you know, if you sense an icon, they're like, well, isn't that offering a sacrifice to an icon? You know, that's idolatry. That's not a sacrifice being offered to an icon. Rather, what you're actually doing is you're, you're, you're engaging in the spiritual fumigation. You're purifying that place. You are dedicating again to the service of God. And the same is true when people are being sensed uh, by the deacon or the priest or the bishop, you know, if he's there, um, you know, the church itself. I mean, the ancient tabernacle and temple was being, incense was being offered and whole burnt offerings, which function basically the same kind of way, purification. So, you know, um, some people will light incense in their home and some people regard it as a kind of optional thing. Like, oh, that's nice. It smells nice. But, but okay, I understand, you know, whatever you're going to choose to do at your home is, is between you and God and your, your father confessor. But you should understand what it's for. It is for purifying the place that you're in and you. So if you're going to offer incense, understand that's what's happening. You're offering a sacrifice to God. You're worshiping God by offering him incense and then by using that offering to purify the place that you're in. So those are the number one and number two ways, practical ways of engaging in spiritual warfare because when demons see people worshiping the one true God, especially with sacrifices, they tuck tail and run. They cannot handle that. Why? Because the thing that they want more than anything else is to be worshiped themselves, right? That's what they want. And so the worship of the one true God by offering sacrifice is a, you know, a sword thrust through their noetic hearts, so to speak. Um, but there's also lots of other things too. Like you mentioned prayers of blessing. Um, a lot of time, you know, the tradition of the church is that your home is blessed every single year at Theophany, at least in the Byzantine tradition. And there are a lot of people who neglect that. Like they might get their house blessed when they move in or when it's convenient or whatever. But I tell people like, like, so when you say to me, father, let's just put it off until next year. I'm saying, so you're okay with the idea of demonic beings living in your home. I'm offering to come and drive them out. Like I'm an exterminator, but you want these evil demonic spiritual cockroaches living in your home and eating your, your life and affecting your heart. Like that's what you you're okay with that. And I, and some people will say, well, no, I was like, well, look, we can skip till next year, but here's the condition. If you have not sinned at all in your home in the last year, 
you're probably okay. And then maybe we can wait till next year. If you have sinned, then let's do some extermination, right? So that's another really key, like people, you can't neglect that. You cannot neglect having your home blessed, right? You can't neglect it. Uh, it's so, so critical because this is an active exorcism that the priest can do. And there's actually a longer form of the house blessing service that includes explicit prayers of exorcism that some people may not be aware of. Um, really, really important, right? Um, but also, you know, like in your daily prayers, again, a lot of times people neglect daily prayers because they just think of it as a duty, like, oh man, I have to say my prayers again. But if you understand that what you're doing when you engage in those prayers is you are reconnecting with your God, you are driving out dark influences in your life. And when I say dark influences, it's not a metaphor. I mean, vast cosmic intelligences who mean you harm. They are working on you right now. When you pray, when you stand before your icons, when you anoint yourself with holy water or holy oil, when you make the sign of the cross, when you kiss the cross, when you venerate relics, all of these things are actions of spiritual warfare against demonic powers. If you only understand them as just being sort of nice customs or whatever, then frankly, they're not going to be as effective for you because you're not going to be participating in them wholeheartedly. And often if you are not participating in them wholeheartedly, you're likely to neglect them. Like, ah, that's nice. You know, that's nice. No, it's not nice. In fact, it's quite, quite aggressive an act to kiss a relic. Uh, yeah, so, you know, these are all things that we, we if, if we understand them correctly, then we understand that they are actually actions in which we drive out demonic powers. Now, there's lots of other things that we do as well, but we have to keep these in mind, you know, um, you know, to pray over our food. Like, if you think of what the power of that is, and then to thank God afterwards, to, uh, to enlist his help before every task, and then again, to thank him afterwards, right? To, uh, to, to um, you know, engage in, in uh, almsgiving, to engage in uh, fasting. All of these things are part of this sort of spiritual discipline that isn't just about self-improvement. It actively drives out demonic forces when we do these things with the grace of God right? They're not, this is not self-help. There's no self-help in Christianity. I can't help myself. I have to have God. I, I can't heal myself, but he has offered repentance to me as the way to be healed. And so I can engage in it and be healed by him, or I can neglect it and not be healed by him. But again, there's nothing neutral. So if I'm not healed by God, then that means I'm becoming more like the demons. And that means that at the end, I'm going to probably, I'm going to be outside of the kingdom if I'm not active, actively on the way to becoming like God, you know? So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. All the things that we think of as kind of the ordinary things of spiritual life, they are actually very practical, specific ways to engage in spiritual warfare. Um, and, uh, when we drive out demons and when we invite the Lord in and when we enlist his angels and his saints, then we are taking up our rightful place that God has invited us to, to become part of his co-governors of creation. You know, we're called to bless the creation. That's what the angelic hosts do. That's what the saints do. So we do that too. You know, we're called to cultivate the creation. That's what his angels and the saints do. We're called to do that as well, right? All of these things are not just sort of material acts that, are nice, you know, and maybe last a little while or whatever. When you plant a garden, you are engaging in an angelic act. That you really are, you know, so why wouldn't you then include holy water with that and prayer and, you know, maybe dedicate your garden to a particular saint or, or that sort of thing. Like when you dedicate your home or anything to a saint, that saint shows up and he's there, you know, it's not just a nice thing to do. Um, you know, so, you know, another thing that a lot of people neglect is calling upon their guardian angel for assistance. Um, also, you know, the patron saint of their church should be called upon for assistance in everything because he or she or they are local to you. They have been assigned by God to be there with you. You should ask for their help. You know, it doesn't matter whether that saint is associated with a particular thing you're thinking about. Like here are parishes named for the apostle Paul. So I ask him for help for everything. I want his help, 
you know, my studio is dedicated to St. Raphael of Brooklyn. So I want him to help me. Um, you know, he was never on the radio as far as I know, but I want his help in doing the things that I'm doing. So, you know, we have to begin to understand again, that, that the saints and the angels and blessings prayers are not spiritual technology where you just sort of press a button and the thing happens, but they're actual relationships that we have. And we're calling upon them all the time, all the time to assist us in everything that we do. Thank you. That's, uh, that's very, it's very well taken. And uh, what I was, uh, what I was reminded of while you were talking, when you were saying uh, basically how some, you know, we can let certain things fall into disuse and disrepair, neglect, as it were. Um, I was reminded of uh, of an incident that happened in the early part of the uh, the Iraq War. You know, in the early part of the invasion of Iraq, there was a uh, there was a convoy that was hit very famously. Right? It was a it was uh, they were they were supply company convoy was hit. And the soldiers were, uh, they were taken captive and they were later rescued. Well, what had happened was, right? Uh, what had happened was there was up until that point in the war, we had had in the army a, a very old way of thinking. You had the people on the front lines and then you had your rear echelon supply people. And the people in the rear echelon, they would kind of sometimes you'd let some of the more infantry kind of stuff slide and neglected. You don't really need to worry as much about weapons qualification and fitness. Why? Because someone else is up front fighting and you're in the back and you don't need to worry about it the same way. Well, when their convoy got hit, everybody realized that there's no more battle lines. There's no one in the rear anymore. Everybody has to be ready to engage. Everyone has to be fit. And the reason why those soldiers got taken was because their weapons hadn't been cleaned. When they went to fire their rifles, the rifles were dirty and unserviceable. So what was the problem? Well, the problem wasn't that they didn't have good ammunition. The problem was that they didn't have the tools and weapons and that they didn't have the training. They had all those things, but they had allowed neglect to creep in. And because they had allowed neglect to creep in, when they needed those resources, they weren't serviceable. And, and that came to mind as you were talking, because I'm looking at it and going, yeah, it's not that we don't have the tools. It's not that we don't have the framework, but when we neglect, when we aren't looking at the totality of life as permeated by the spiritual, as you've sort of said and recalibrated, when we're, when we're allowing the space for darkness to kind of creep in and uh, those spiritual cockroaches, like you said, to inhabit the house. I mean, we, we put ourselves in a position to be overrun unnecessarily, just the same way they were. I mean, they were trained. It's just, they said, Hey, I don't need to worry about this. Someone else does. And yeah. then the whole army had to say, Nope, no one's in the rear anymore. Everybody, la di da everybody has got to be ready to engage. And that changed that, that moment changed everything. And I think, I dare say, and please, uh, both of you opine, I, I think we're very much at a similar moment within the church. You know, cultural Christianity is going the way of the dodo, thankfully, and everybody's having to engage and having to engage deeply. And it, it's really, are we taking this seriously or not? And uh, I think that is kind of upon us. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, there is still a big problem of clericalism within the church. Um, Absolutely. And, and I, I think some clergy uh, have this problem too, right? Like, like if, you know, was there any point in your seminary study where you had a professor stand up and say, look, you are going to be confronting demons directly and we're going to be training you for that. That did not happen in my seminary study. No one said that to me. Uh, now it's in it's in scripture for sure. Uh, it's in the church services. We see constantly references to uh, the defeat of God's enemies, right? Um, but but I think most clergy probably don't think, okay, I'm going to have to deal with demons on a regular basis. You know, they think, well, I'm going to serve the services. I sing well. I know the liturgics well. You know, I I, I can preach okay. You know, I, I can take care of people. People like me. You know, whatever. But that's a very reduced and very almost even material way of understanding what the priesthood is about. I mean, if you look at the priesthood in Scripture, for instance, when a plague hits the people of Israel, uh, Aaron and the other priests come out with censers and they offer incense so as to purify the people of God. And oh, by the way, 
the earth swallowed up, uh, opened up and swallowed a bunch of them as they were doing that. Right. That's what priests do is they, they, they bring out these weapons of warfare on the front. But, but the thing is, is that, you know, there is this sense that a lot of people have of like, okay, the priests are going to do that. Not realizing maybe that the priest actually was not, not uh, equipped for this kind of thing, um, you know, or doesn't, doesn't, he's neglect, he's been neglecting it himself, right? A lot of priests, when they crash and burn, it's because like, look at their prayer life, look at their, their marriages, all these things that this, these are the ways that you clean your weapons and, and, you know, make sure you're well supplied, right? Um, but, but uh, yeah, people have this idea of, okay, well, father, you're going to do the heavy lifting. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I just have my thing that I do here in the back, but it's like, what, you think that the demons are just going to go for the priest. You think the demons are not interested in you. The demons are interested in you. Right. Uh, it's like some people say, you know, oh, I'm not interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. <laughs> you know, it, it's going to affect you there. It is affecting you now. It is affecting you now. You have been armed. You were given baptism. You were assigned a guardian angel. You were assigned a patron saint. They're standing there locked and loaded. But they're not going to assist you if you constantly resist them. You know, and that demon is ready to roll and he's accepting every invitation that you give him when you sin. That's the other way you participate with demons is sin or when you sacrifice to him. And a lot of people don't think of themselves as sacrificing to demons, but but look at what they're willing to give up for things like power and strength and beauty and reputation. Like you could name which gods they're worshiping based on that, right? Like how many people are worshiping Aphrodite? How many people are worshiping Aries? Uh, you know, it, it goes on and on. They are, they, they are worshiping because they are engaging in sacrifice for those things, right? So, so yeah, there is this problem where people think that you know, well, I'm not on the front lines. I'm just here in the supply convoy, or whatever. Like, I'm sorry, everybody has to be armed because everybody's engaging in combat. You know, Jesus did not say, "I'm going to appoint." these 12 guys, and they're going to go out and do all the, the spiritual combat and everybody else can just sort of benefit from what they're doing. That's not, that's not the model at all. You know, we are all invited into the heavenly hosts, which is an army, you know, Lord God of Sabaoth. We sing that in the divine liturgy and Sabaoth means armies, God of armies, you know? Uh, so, so we all have to engage in spiritual combat. It's not an option for anybody. It's not. And I'd like to point out that's God of armies, not navies. So sorry, Dad. Uh, no dice for you. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm reminded of the two Greek words used so often in uh, monastic circles for uh, the pushback that we get from the demons. Uh, the, the, less, the lesser known word, pirasmi, which is translated in modern Greek or into English as like the static or the salt and pepper, that we may remember on our television. So it's just this kind of white noise or static on the radio that makes the message hard to hear. And, you know, so we have to deal with that. And, and, then, and then also the actual logismi, the, the, these demonic words that, that we hear that, that influence us. And you were talking about our prayer lives and those, those words came to mind because in my own prayer life, I've, seen both. Uh, when I get up early and I'm standing there and I'm reading the words and the, I can't even hear the words. It's not that there's other words in my head, but the, that the static is so strong that I can't even hear spiritually the words that I'm reading on the page. Or then there's other times when you pick up the same book and you're reading words, but you're hearing other thoughts than seeing other visions of things that have nothing to do with the prayer whatsoever, but they're actually evil. So do you have any uh, guidance or advice for people as we're on the battlefield and the message that we're hearing from leadership is unclear as we're trying to, to offer ourselves to our, our commander, the general in heaven seated upon his throne and the communication is broken down because we're in a weird place. Yeah, I, I think one of the most important things for people to understand in terms of prayer is that the mind 
um, as it's understood by ancient people and is assumed by scripture and is talked, you know, assumed usually, although not often it's not made explicit by the church fathers because they just, everybody saw it this way, is that the mind is not um, a sort of a box with a computer in it that generates thoughts, right? We tend to think that way. Um, you know, thank, thanks Descartes, you know, um, it, it's a philosophical problem and we're the inheritors of it. And um, so if you have an, an evil thought that keeps coming to you over and over again, people tend to identify that thought as being themselves, right? So that's who I am, right? And they may then embrace it like, yeah, that's who I am. Or they may, you know, fall into despair. Like I look at how horrible I am. I'm just evil, right? But ancient peoples did not see the mind as this kind of thought generating box. Uh, rather, they saw it essentially as a sensory organ. So I often like to liken it to a lens. You know, it receives thoughts. It receives thoughts, right? So you receive good thoughts, you receive bad thoughts. And then the question is, what do I do with that thought that I've received? Do I invite it in and say, yeah, have a seat. Let's have some, you know, coffee and cakes together. Um, and enter into communion with each other, right? If it's a good thought, that's what you want to do. You know, St. Paul says, whatever things are noble, whatever things are good, whatever, you know, beautiful, etc. Think on these things. In other words, he says, he's saying, turn your lens to that stuff and focus it there. So you just keep receiving those thoughts, right? And in a, in a practical way, how do we do that? Well, we come back to those prayers, even when there's the static. We come back to the icons, even if we can't focus. Um, you know, we sometimes you need to adjust your physical environment to make that more possible. Dim the lights, light a candle. There is a reason why the incense works, right? As we talked earlier, all of these things, you know, purify your space so that it's less susceptible to static and to those, those specific thoughts that then get suggested to us that are not ones that we want to invite in and enter into communion with. So sometimes the, the, the challenge is just to keep turning over and over again, like Matanya repentance is to turn that mind. It's to refocus that lens back to what is good. And sometimes we're in such a habit of focusing on what is evil that it can be a lot of struggle to do it, but it's still totally worth the struggle right? It's, this is what we have to do. We don't accept the, the evil thoughts and just say, well, that's who I am. Cause it's not who you are. It's, it's a thought that's come in from the outside, you know, to, to kind of flip it around to the other side. I, one of the things I, I think it was one of our, it was one of our recent scenes. I think it was St. Porfirios maybe who was talking about child rearing. And he said, uh, you know, every time that you pray for your children, God sends them a good thought. And I mean, if that works with kids, I'm sure it works with everybody. Right. So, so, you know, if you think about that, that, that when you pray for someone, God sends to that person a good thought. Now they can choose what to do with that. They can reject it. They can receive it. Right. But also think about the good thoughts that you receive. Someone is praying for you. The angels and the saints are working on you. You know, God is sending you these good thoughts. So when you have a good thought, you should receive it as from the Lord. And not just say, oh, that's a good idea. Eh, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's what we do with most of our good thoughts. That's nice. <laughs> and just move on, right? We don't so much reject them as just ignore them. But that is rejecting them effectively, right? So, so if we understand that there is this spiritual world that is not just around us, but in us, like we're very permeable. Again, the mind is not a box that generates thoughts. It's a lens. So there's always something coming in, no matter what, right? But I can control where my lens is focused. I can control, you know, how I receive whatever comes through. Um, so, so, you know, as we're, if you're distracted in prayer, then, then you're doing something right. Those distractions that are coming are actually attempts by the enemy to get you to pull focus. So just redouble those efforts and refocus. And no matter how hard it is, even if it's hard every single day for the rest of your life, you're doing the right thing that you're supposed to be doing. A lot of times people have the sense like it should come more easily if this is right. False. Nothing good ever was achieved in this world without effort. Often people think they, they usually say that about marriage and relationships. Like this should be easier if you're the right person. False. 
That's wrong. You know, if, if it's a struggle, then that means it's working. That means your sins are coming out, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so yeah, you know, it, it is a struggle, the, the war within our thoughts. But if we understand the way that the mind actually works, then um, it can actually be very hopeful. Like just because I have an evil thought doesn't mean I have to say, oh, that's, that's just who I am. It's just so bad. You know, I can't, can't get rid of it. If I'm thrown, you know, I, I can tell you like, for instance, and maybe you guys had this experience, I don't know, but I've heard other priests have had it. I was warned before I was ordained. After you were ordained, you were going to start to have thoughts that you've never had before, and they're going to be terrible. And I was like, okay, sure. And I, so for like a day afterwards, I was sort of protected from them. But then after that, I started having thoughts that utterly horrified me that I had never had in my life. And it's not like I went looking for this, these thoughts. And then I realized, so this is why so many clergy are taken down in these particular ways. Because the demons know that these thoughts work very well on clergy, right? But, the, you know, whether you're clergy or not, I mean, this is a reality. So just because you have an evil thought doesn't mean you have to accept it. You know, even if you have it over and over and over and over and over and over again, just know that that means you're just, you're under fire. You're under fire. That's okay. We have a defender, you know, the Lord himself and all of his angels and saints. Amen. Um, I hear you talking about our modern society. I mean, people have taken for the past two decades at least, and it's become more tribal now, but we, we've had these little pockets of Oh, uh, I, I'm goth. I'm, I am this. I am that, and we we associate ourselves with these worldly things and with these pockets of uh, associated belief uh, between that we share as people. And um, not to toot my own horn, but I, I heard my children, uh, as young children, speaking that way. I am this. I am that. And by God's grace, I was given a beautiful thought for them to say, children, you, you may think that you are many things, but those many things are very plastic and malleable. There's one thing that you are that is unchangeable that you must focus your minds on, and that is being Christ's. You are Christians, and you are Christ's, and focus your minds to that. Yeah. We're the race of Christians, as our yeah. liturgical services say over and over. The new nation, which is called by his name. Yep. Bingo. And it's far too easy just to associate ourselves with tribes. I'm, I'm liberal. I'm conservative. I am libertarian. I am, you know, I'm a D&D &D guy, whatever it is, right? I mean, it's far too easy to, to establish ourselves in these little pockets of non-reality. They don't really actually exist. It's just figments of, of imagined yeah. reality. They don't so pseudomorphosis. Nice. We've been reformed by something false like or that. by something transient. I mean, you know, th there's nothing wrong with being like a, a sci-fi guy, <laughs> but if that becomes your identity, then you, right. you do have a problem. Yeah, where I'm dressing up like uh, Pokemon characters every weekend at uh, conventions and taking flights to and fro. Anyway, well, I think, yeah, I think our discussion would draw a distinction between like, you know, the, the having the, the diversion of, you know, whatever you're into Star Wars and, you know, whatever, but or versus like, this is the priority. This is as Father Andrew said, the defining thing. And then what are you willing at, to, to put it back in, in the terms that Father brought up? That what are you willing to sacrifice for it? You'll sacrifice your resources, your times, uh, your relationship with your kids, right? Because you're you're not with them, you're with other cosplay. I mean, just we're not picking on the cosplaying community. We're right. just the point the point is like what is the thing that you're really willing to sacrifice for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, look at it, it's I, it's it's ritual participation. Like everything. those acts are ritual participation. And so you become you become more like what you participate with. And, and there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, going to a, a, a con or whatever, uh, but, um, or even dressing up to go to the con, right? Like you say, we're not, we're not hammering on cosplayers, but, yeah, but I if, think we... <laughs> if that's the rich, if that's the ritual, if that's the, if that's the main ritual that defines who I am, then I have a, I have a problem. 
right? Yeah. My ritual participation needs to be in Christ uh, above all else, above all else, because every ritual shapes you, right? Um, because ritual makes you participate in another being. Um, so it can be either good or it can be, it can be bad. Well, and, and to, and to that, to that point, right. And that kind of echoes what Christ says to the Pharisees, because he says to them, you know, you love greetings in the marketplace and wearing long robes and fringe tassels on your fringes, but you've neglected the weight and you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice and righteousness. You should have done one without neglecting the other. They were willing to put on the costume. They were willing to go through the Kabuki theater, but they had stripped it of its essence and its power. They had the form of godliness, but not its power. And it's not that the form was bad, but they had missed the point. They had missed the boat of why they were commanded to do what they were commanded to do. And then it, that makes it, if we might say, perhaps a mockery of the thing it's supposed to represent because you don't have the substance. Well, the problem is not the tool, it's the operator. Great. Uh, I think we have ended our time together today. Unfortunately, I would love to just keep talking with Father Andrew. Um, maybe we'll have you back on by God's grace and your will one day. I'd really like to pick your brain on the topic of chaos, which we touched on earlier, um, and how the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is actually an undoing of chaos from within. Yeah. The undoing of the primordial uh, battle from within through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. But um, Father Andrew, I would invite you to please pray for the three of us and everyone who tunes in and listens to us as we close this episode of On the Battlefield. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Christ our God, you have said, without you, we can do nothing and so we ask for your assistance in all that we do, and we ask for the assistance of angels and of saints in the many tasks that you have called us to do, that we may become more and more conformed to who you are, and therefore to your Father who is in heaven. For you are holy always, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you to Father Andrew Stephen Damick. Uh, and yes. him being here with us today. And on behalf of Father Michael, Mark, Antonio, myself, Father Joseph, everyone, God bless you and have a great day.